Greetings, and welcome to the RPG Review Board Podcast. You are listening to Episode 15. In this episode, we join two of the judges in Chambers. We listen into a conversation in progress in which judges Case and Adam talk about fantasy in RPGs, how and why it became the de facto setting for tabletop RPGs, and things to consider when running a game in a fantasy setting, and how other settings differ for running, playing, and game prep. Join us as the board convenes in support of the betterment of tabletop gaming. Come now, the honorable representatives of the RPG Review Board. I had sort of proposed this idea of talking about why fantasy is the main genre of RPGs, right? Yeah, really interesting idea to think about. Well, <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, um, this is sort of inspired by us playing Modern Age, which is nominally not fantastical at all, right? It's just a rule set for playing stories, dramatic action stories in a modern setting, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there are like maybe two official settings for it. Maybe there might be three. I was looking on Green Ronin website, and one of them is uh, like modern fantasy. So, so it's like even when you try and it's like okay, we're gonna make a modern setting, you know, or a modern game. It's like oh yeah, but here's the fantasy element. Yeah, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. Right. And what's the most what's the most popular cyberpunk game? It's Shadowrun, which has you know, cyberpunk and fantasy in it, right? And even, yeah. like, if you think about, I don't know, Warhammer 40K is not sci-fi. Like, it's got, much like Star Wars, it has sci-fi trappings. But yeah. there's freaking demons and sorcery. Right. It's just nonsense. Like, Yeah, and even in the Warhammer world, there is a fantasy version of it from which, you know, 40,000 years later, you're playing in that same world, but similar elements. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of strange. I don't know. I seem to remember, uh, maybe I'm recalling back to listening to you and Heidi talk um, about superheroes and RPGs, which I think was episode four, if I'm I'm remembering correctly. And you talked about, you had this analogy of going into the bookstore and choosing a book from the book rack and not knowing that that would shape your your sort of reading habits for years to come, right? And yeah. I seem to remember at the time you suggested that you had, you'd picked up sci-fi, uh, f- fantasy was my was my fantasy first. was your thing. Okay, yeah. I miss I was misremembering that. Okay, well this is going to be very difficult because we're both <laughs> fantasy nerds. Um, because yeah. for me it was fantasy too. Although for me it was what my mother read to me, so that was what got me started. But I yeah. would imagine that now is Nate more of a sci-fi fan? Uh, well, so I actually Nate and I connected with his first 
book series recommendation to me was Dresden Files, which is like urban fantasy, yeah, right? modern urban fantasy, fantasy, right? Yeah. Um, which I thought was really interesting. And, and he has never steered me wrong with a book recommendation, but he has also turned me on to things like Mistborn, which is fantasy as well. So, yeah. you know, Brander Sanderson and, and Way of Kings, that series is also fantasy. fantasy. So. But uh, I'm no stranger to sci-fi, but when I pick something up or when I start a new series, it does tend to be lean towards fantasy. And that I, I like to think, or perhaps it is, related to like my early days. And that was the big excitement. I can pick my own book and uh, that's what I came up with. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I had been trying to think about the science fiction that I read because I also just sort of lean towards fantasy. And the science fiction... When I want science fiction, I tend to want, like, as far as possible away from fantasy. It's like, don't mm-hmm. don't mix my chocolate and my peanut butter. Like, if you're going to mm-hmm. give me sci-fi, give me sci-fi. Yeah. Um, and uh, the stories that I've read that I've liked the most have been pretty heavily sci-fi. Although I read a lot of, when I was young, I read a lot of, there's a certain class of Robert Heinlein books that were sort of targeted at kids. Now that's not true of all his books. There's a whole bunch of his books where he's either like, he's got some like weird philosophy that he wants to put forward or he just wants to talk about sex. So, you know, this is not true of all of them, but there's a Red Planet, Have Spacesuit, Will Travel, Starman Jones, Star Beast. There's a whole bunch of these ones that are just sort of like adventures in space. And I love that type of thing where it's just sort of like going out into the universe. It's very exploration heavy, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it is it like space opera, that kind of thing? I wouldn't say so. The spa- Well, I guess when I think of space opera, I think specifically of the sort of mi- the mixture of fantasy and science fiction, right? So... My sort of shorthand for space opera is that you can hear battles in space, right? Which you can yeah. do in Star Wars. This is like, no, there's no pew pew. Uh, <laughs> sound doesn't carry in a vacuum, right? So it's this idea that the space setting is just costuming, right? It's okay. You're you're not going to have any. Like, for instance, I would call the Expanse series hard sf although i've only read i think the first two so it might get crazy later on but like you know you have characters who are um very much shaped by the environments they're in and have to contend with this very hostile environment all the time and that's i associate that more with science fiction okay well, another sort of sci-fi one that turns me on is sort of the Ender's Game series. Oh, and yeah. I think what's what's interesting about that is that you sort of get this connection with an individual character. You get you get that individual character, but Card is really good. And this is the thing I I really like about sometimes of some types of sci-fi is the the attempt to imagine an alien culture, right? And to say what would it be like if this aspect of you know of what we understand intelligent life to be was fundamentally different you know whether that's a biological thing right because if you think again about this is definitely true of uh star wars and i think probably for budgetary reasons it's true of star trek all of the aliens are just kind of like 
different colors of skin, you know? Yeah, yeah. Human with a wrinkly forehead. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's really noticeable in, in Star Trek for obvious reasons, I think. It's like, how much can you do with the costuming on a, a TV budget? But even Star Trek, there's not, you know, you'll get a little bit of like, oh, well, so-and-sos are like this, right? Um, Wookiees are like this, but it's it's more of like, well, they like to live in trees and they have a very honor-bound culture. It's not like they think differently, right? Mm, yeah. And I think, did you read Dune? I read the first Dune, yeah. Okay. Dune has, has always struck me as an attempt to make human culture alien. Like, they're human, but they're so far removed from us that they might as well be aliens. And yeah. And sort of like, okay, well, what would it be like to live in a world like that where this was, this was normal? And that's all very cool. And I don't think fantasy does that because fantasy is not is not concerned with discovery in quite the same way. I don't think. Well, and I agree, and I think that's part of the reason why it becomes, well, we'll probably get to this, but the reason why it becomes sort of a de facto setting for RPGs is because it's a world that is similar to ours, but just different enough where you kind of already got all of the, the regular rules of interaction with the world, like gravity, linear time, climate variation, need for food and shelter, the right. role of faith and consciousness, all of these things that are, you can just say, all of this is true, but, and right. uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, of an author uh, that I really respect. There's a, there's an author named Lawrence Simon and he, uh, he may still run, but at the time I engaged with him, he ran a, a site and a podcast called 100 word stories. And he has a quote that's basically like, how do you write such compelling stories with the limitation of 100 words and his quote was take the familiar and make it not so and that's what a lot of fantasy does is take the familiar and make it unfamiliar to you yeah so with uh with a rpg you already sort of have the rules of the world laid out and you can just tweak the things that are different right well so there are there the the because it exists in a kind of mythical past right those rules do are sort of there to pick and choose from as opposed to say, like you know, true science fiction, which relies on on, on sort of that that feeling of discovery and the sense of existing in other circumstances, right? So, if you want to imagine an alien, like really imagine an alien culture, that is a significant ask, right? But if you want to say, okay, so there's knights, everyone's like, oh, knights, I get knights, right? Hey, so there's elves. Oh, I've heard of elves, right? Now, a great deal of that is is thanks to fantasy's takeover of modern culture, right? So there are, you know, video games and movies and all this sorts of things that have things like elves and dwarves and orcs in them that didn't exist in much significant material before, I don't know, maybe the 1950s, 40s or 50s. Sure. Tolkien is so huge in this area that it's hard to... Yeah, what the Hobbit came out in the mid 40s 50s? 30s he wrote it in the 40s hobbit came out in 37 and then the lord of the rings trilogy after the hobbit was the 40s but yeah 40s, so late okay. late 30s early 40s but you know that's you know theoretically that's that's modern but you even had what we call now traditional fantasy back in the 12th century right jeffrey of monmouth's king arthur and merlin that was a magic sword and a wizard I oh mean, yeah, that was 12th true. century stuff well okay so that's another thing i think that's another thread there because uh, fantasy 
has a ubiquity to it, or, or it does have a ubiquity to it because of fairy stories, of folk tales, mm-hmm. right? So stories about the little people or stories about baker's sons that grow up to be princes or something like that or you know cinderella all of that stuff the kind of grimm's fairy tale that has existed in all cultures pre-literacy well not pre-literacy if you think of literacy in the sense of reading right yeah um that stuff is seems to be a universal aspect of culture and if you filter it through the the attempts to gather and collect folk tales in the 19th century, then you have this sort of recognition of this shared culture. Yeah, we do all sort of know what fairies are because they're stories of fairies. We call mm-hmm. them different things in different parts of the world and different languages, but they and they do different things or they're described in different ways, but there's they're always there. Yeah, it just sort of, I mean, it's part of this, the whole human experience of trying to make sense of the world, right? Like right. you sit around a campfire and somebody says, why does the sun rise? Well, dragons <laughs> and dragons. the constellations come alive. And, right. uh, you know, I think fantasy is, is, is interesting and compelling from a role-playing game perspective because it allows you to do whatever you want and sort of explain it away. Because Why? Because magic. That is actually very interesting. So... One of the real challenges of, well, I think you would agree with this, of being a dungeon master or a game master is that you're responsible for the world, right? Mm-hmm. And the world's a pretty big, complex place. And so if everyone else is playing their dude and you're playing the whole world, like any assistance you can get to make your job easier is welcome. And you think about the shared understanding of fairy stories as being a big supportive role like it it means that you don't necessarily have to follow the logic of of sort of fairy tales does a big lift for you in terms of carrying the reality of the world because you were just saying hey magic explains it right but a whole bunch of fairy stories work on the logic of magic it's like why is this princess trapped because she a spell was cast on her and only, you know, if you sound the horn on the other side of the sea will she be magically released from... It just doesn't have to follow the rules of the world in a kind of practical sense. It can find yeah. this... It can follow this kind of fairy logic or, or elf land logic that, that people understand. It's like, oh, it's magic. Okay. You know. Yeah, and uh, I found myself, of course, I've run fantasy RPGs, and I recently ran the Modern Age RPG, and yeah. your mitigation factors as the game master are a little different. You're stretching a little bit of a different muscle, because in a fantasy RPG, you say... You need a key to open the portal of the Netherkin. Yeah. And in modern age, you could just be like, why don't I just scan it and you can send me the 3D print file and I'll just print one and right. open it up. And you're like, no, 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 because magic. And you're like, oh, okay. So okay. you can yeah. explain it away with magic. But with modern <laughs> RPGs, you have these uh, considerations <laughs> right. that you can't yeah. as easily explain away. There's an um, there's an information flow problem there, right? So mm-hmm. if I can tell, you know, it's like, okay, well, I found this book in the dungeon. What does it say? I was like, well, you don't know that language. All right. Um, 
Well, where can I learn it? Well, you'll have to go visit this library. All right, fine. That's a whole other quest. And so you can withhold information easily. And it's like, hey, I, I found this file. It's in a language I don't recognize. Um, Google Translate. Okay, I get yeah. the basic, yeah. you know. We're all familiar with the tools of the reality that we inhabit. And it is easy to... We spend a lot of our time learning to hack our reality, right? How can I make this easier? How can I, you know, facilitate maximal profit out of minimal effort? And so if if you're sending a game that's, you know, oh yeah, it's the modern world. It's like, okay, well, I know how to hack this. <laughs> I know the cheat right. codes. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that there's there's something there. I definitely think that the background, that background of having fairy tale logic and 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 magical I don't want to say magical thinking because that's a term that means something, but the the enchanted world as your backdrop just gets rid of a lot of this kind of modern clutter and allows your job to be a little bit easier. That being said, are there are there things about fantasy role playing games or fantasy as a setting for role playing that that kind of bother you or you ever think, man, I wish it. I wish we'd started off with sci-fi or something. That's a great question. I haven't really considered it, but uh, there are times when I want to play something more modern. And if you think about it, the RPG setting that you have, a lot of it is the world and the trappings and how the reality is for the characters that are in it. But in a lot of ways, what you're defining is the technology level. Yeah. And it's the technology level that really dictates what actions are even possible for your characters to consider. And there are some times when I do think it's fun to branch out from traditional fantasy and play something with a higher technology level. But like like having a muscle that's atrophied, as I mentioned, playing Modern yeah. Age was an eye-opening experience to me as someone who, tr who traditionally runs fantasy. RPGs. So yeah. yeah, I don't know that there's anything that bothers me about it, but there are times when I want to break out of that mold and do something different. I think that's why you find a lot of things like Eberron as a setting, mm, which is sure. fantasy plus technology, and Shadowrun, which is fantasy and plus technology. So yeah, I think that's a lot of reasons why you find those things. It's sort of like, listen, we all know you love fantasy. We're just going to add a little something, right? It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you like fantasy? How about trains? Would you yeah. like some trains in your fantasy? See, it's not it's not much, just a little bit, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> I think there's something to that. Uh, so you said something about the actions available to you, and I uh, also, in some sense, it's like the roles available to you. One of the things that is interesting about fantasy is that it tends to model to one degree or another a very different society from ours. Now, it's a society that we come from you know but it's different than ours and so there is i think in the same way that playing a role in a role-playing game is a comfort because it's it's reducing all of the things that are a part of you down to something smaller it's like you know i've got my responsibilities my job my family all of the other connections and, and interpersonal characteristics that make me up and that, that require my attention but in this game, I'm a fighter, and I've got a sword, mm -hmm. and I'm wearing armor, and I don't have to make that many decisions, right? I just, it's, it narrows things down to a pleasing amount. But also, if you're representing a kind of pseudo-medieval past, it's like, well, 
I don't have to think about the stunning array of social conditions and cultures that I might have to interact with on a daily basis. And uh, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm the thief. I'm a low class, you know, lower class scum, you know, and that's fine. You know, I don't have to think much about that. So it's there is an appeal to just settling into a stereotype. It's like, yeah. But I also think you were talking about actions. One of the things that that can make that restrictive is just because you're taking on a very specific kind of defined role, you can't do a lot of like other things, right? And defining a character, trying to define a modern character, whenever you look at a modern RPG, the character sheet is just covered with like skills and special abilities because we think of ourselves, I think, in a very skill-based way. What am I capable of doing? What are my what am I trained for? What have I what I do I already have experience, right? It's like when you're thinking about, I don't know, something like DD, yeah, here's here's the archetype that I'm embodying. You're thinking about modern age, it's like, well, here's my resume. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's such a great point. And and uh so much of modern like the world that we live in now is knowledge based and so many of your skills could be you could have a smart guy who is so much different than the other smart guy in a modern game. Right. Is your intelligence in marketing or manufacturing or education or in computer programming or in you know, it's like so many different types of knowledges where you could have just a page of knowledge based skills because we don't have to hunt for our food and we don't have to you know do all these all these things that's that's part of the escapism that you were talking about and we go back to a land that was just familiar enough that we understand it but far enough back where adventuring was a job and going out and being an adventurer was your, you don't have to like you said worry about the minutia of how does you know house payment and student loans and health insurance and <laughs> car payments and all this kind of stuff so that you could make your living that way um, and it's it's kind of refreshing yeah yeah they call it escape for a reason you and i both sort of got started with fantasy your was your first game fantasy yeah, second edition Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, we we haven't we need to deal with the the origin story with with you at some point. Yeah, but yeah. but we both got started in fantasy as a genre and are familiar with it. And I think for a lot of people, just looking at the available options out there and the fact that D and D is still the big the big monster in the room, tells you that a lot of DMs are probably pretty comfortable with fantasy. So, as somebody who just kind of stepped out of fantasy for a little bit to to run a modern rpg if people are thinking about stepping out into something else any recommendations any tips and tricks yeah i think a great step between fantasy rpg and modern rpg is pulp oh and so i think that's a, a fantastic place where okay you want to introduce firearms but not attack drones then get a get a 45 pistol and give it to indiana jones and go off and find the nazi treasure yeah no i think that that's actually good well and i think that's a reason that say call of cthulhu which is kind of the the dark horse to D&D, it's the, always been the kind of the second game, mm-hmm. is set in the 1920s because it, it does feel a little bit pulpy. You can make it feel pulpy. It's not too much, right? And it still has that kind of... <laughs> it's like, all right, you're stepping away from fantasy, but we'll keep a little bit of magic and a little bit of mysticism, uh, a little bit of like possibility of supernatural there to 
to keep you interested. I would say my biggest thing is that you have to like if you're if you're planning to run a traditional fantasy game and it's just like, well, I'm stalking the dungeon, I'm I'm adding, you know, these various things that are be interesting to players. I think the thing you have to think about most as a modern game master is just information flow and realizing how you're going to get information to players and how they're going to seek it out and be being ready for that so you know you're, you're not designing random encounter tables or anything like that but you do need to be thinking about okay what happens when they do a web search on this guy what happens if they attempt to you know, you know they, they break into the office late at night and look through his files. What are they going to find? You don't want to heavy hand, you know, it's like, well, there's nothing here or it's all in code. You can't get away with that very often with, with players. So you have to be ready for the possibility that they're going to get information you hadn't expected them to get. And and that's, that's just a challenge. It's the thing you have to to be thinking about i would say yeah yeah and perhaps that requires a little more prep than than a fantasy rpg might um and different so yeah prep. that's a big deal different, different prep yeah yeah different, different prep. prep yeah different better prep. way to say it well do you have in closing do you have a favorite sort of modern rpg or even just like or maybe a science fiction story so far or like anything to recommend I am really enamored with the dice mechanics and setting of the new 5th edition uh, Vampire the Masquerade. I think it handles technology in a really interesting way and how some of the clans interact with it. And, you know, we talked about the setting being sort of setting a baseline for technology levels. And that's definitely a a modern setting. You can run it at any time. Yeah, but the default setting is right now, and I think it does a really good job of that with their fluff and world building. I'm intrigued by that because I have not played. Last time I played Vampire, it was I don't even remember. It was a long time ago, so I remember the old way they did it. But I'm I'm curious about the new one. Although again, I say modern, but what do we have here? Mythical creatures, vampires, right? So That's a great point. only yeah, good point. only <laughs> only a certain amount of uh, <laughs> modern. Yeah. I would say. Well, I would actually say that um, I still remember very fondly, call back to another previous episode, talking about my origins in gaming. I remember very fondly the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness game, even though you can't get it anymore because the company that made it, Palladium, lost the license to, to that franchise. But man, that was wacky and fun. Seeing what crazy character you might roll up, how they... How they dealt with life as a mutant animal was just uh, so much fun. I had one more point I wanted to get your thoughts on. One of the things that I think, of course, we know that Tolkien and traditional fantasy fiction that people would read in a book drove a lot of why the default setting for RPGs is fantasy. I have one other thought, and I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, but one of the other reasons why I think it's interesting is by setting that technology level, it also makes your interaction and your combat and all of the things that make it a game, it scales it down to a very Mm. personal level. And what's, what's compelling about playing an RPG is that you get to embody this individual hero. And when you don't have just, I'll just send a drone to drop a bomb and, and kill all the, Mm -hmm. you know, 10,000 bad guys, you know, you've got as far as you can shoot an arrow 
and that keeps everything scaled down to a sort of a reasonable and manageable size. You think there's anything to that and why fantasy becomes the default for a lot of like combat and social interaction? Yeah, I can especially see that if you're talking about thinking of fantasy, like if you think about the origin of D&D, which was in wargaming, right? So you're moving mm-hmm. you're moving guys across the map, you're those figures have different capabilities they react in different ways to to fire and so at its heart wargaming was about managing the variables of the battlefield right so you're you're thinking about will my troop configuration break when it takes too many casualties can we see the enemy what's the terrain like are we attacking uphill or downhill all these sorts of things and when D&D comes along, you take those manageable elements and you you sort of shave them down so we're talking about one guy, right? One person. And it's one person's interaction with the world. And I think that there is something about, you know, the game started with, you know, in combat. And... The, the revolution was like, no, I don't, I don't run the battle. I'm one of the guys, right? And the personal nature of pre-modern combat, that you're, you know, you're running up and getting in somebody's face or you're, you know, you're the best, you know, the most you can do with a missile weapon is shoot somebody from across the battlefield. But in the, even then, it is your own power and might that dictates your capacity to use the weapon, right? There's not, there's no point and shoot. It's about drawing that bow back and firing. So yeah, I think, I think there is something to that, that fantasy makes the essential conflict something that almost of necessity must be personal. It can't be this. There were plenty of war games around when D&D was made that were like, strategic moving tanks around and you know refighting combat and in world war ii and things like that and none of those turned into an rpg because modern war is different somehow Mm -hmm. although i'm sure that a a historian of battles you know a war historian would like well well, well, you know lots of caveats but yeah i think there's something there's something to that yeah, it's kind of fun to be able to zoom in to, to that level and the technology level sort of allows that without shoehorning it. And rules for grappling. <laughs> something, something. So there's rules for, rules for grappling. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Awesome.